Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey guys, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to this fifth message in this series, uh, Mercy and Grace, the Power and the Glory of God. I hope you're getting a lot out of this, but I want you to understand there will be an audio version of this available that you can purchase as a download. For all of you who want to go deeper into the details and into the research and into the scripture, because you just got, got a greater hunger for God and, you know, you want to get these things. So we always provide those. Now, remember, my audio and videos are not just a duplicate of each other. And in the audios, there's going to be probably uh, uh, six hours or thereabouts of additional training uh, besides what you're getting here in these videos. And I hope you'll share these videos with people because so many people that, that will benefit greatly from this. So let's just jump right into the message. You know, when I, when I look back and remember, anytime you want to understand uh, the model that we are supposed to be following to understand what church is and to understand uh, what's supposed to happen when we leave uh, the world, which is represented by uh, Egypt, and we come out and every feast, every major experience that the children of Israel went through is a type or a representation of something that we can either learn from and avoid or a type of something that we should be implementing in our lives. And I'll, be re I'll soon be releasing some material on our website about all the feasts and how that uh, represents things that we should be dealing with as believers making our journey to, you know, to connect with God. But one of the things that happened, and I've made reference to this before, Moses really went through a complete life transformation in this journey. And the reason he had this transformation was because the Bible said that he wanted to understand God's ways, whereas uh, the children of Israel just wanted to see his deeds. In other words, they had a slave mentality because they had grown up in, uh, in the occult of Egypt, and the only relationship they had ever seen or understood with the gods was one where we are trying to avoid you killing us because all the pagan gods uh, are, are wrathful, they're manipulative, you, you never know what they're going to do, and so you're always seeking to find ways to appease them. So you're talking about the ultimate of legalism. You know, we think that we see the ultimate uh, of legalism in people uh, thinking they need to obey certain rules to be accepted of God and all those sort of things. But really, legalism is much deeper than that because true legalism actually believes that we have to appease God to keep him from punishing us or to keep him from hurting us. Well, if we believe that we have to appease God to keep him from hurting us, then this means that we do not believe in what, what Jesus accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. One of the most prominent benefits that we have as new believers 
is that we are delivered from the wrath of God. We never have to fear wrath. And I'm telling you, if there's ever any part of you that inwardly, you know, fears that God's going to pour his wrath out on you and punish you because of something you've done wrong, I got news for you. You will never really be able to establish a healthy relationship with God based on love and ultimately uh, express through faith. It just, it just won't happen. But uh, the children of Israel, they never let go of their occult roots. And legalism has its roots in the occult. Uh, the, again, the idea that you've got to appease the gods. And so ultimately, you bring that into your life as a believer. And now you've got to please, you've got to appease God, because if you don't, he will hurt you. He will destroy you. He will kill you. And we've already talked about this. Exodus 33, 18, Moses, see, he wanted to understand God because what he was, what he was really seeking was, uh, was a, a relationship. And actually, when the Bible talks in the Hebrew language about the love of God, there's a fourth aspect of love that we don't even have in the Greek language of the New Testament. And I am just here to tell you the great majority of one-dimensional, shallow comments about the love of God that you see on Facebook is not that what they're saying is not true, but it's one-dimensional. And so it only takes up an aspect of uh, one aspect of God's love. But until that is brought into a relational, multi-dimensional, in other words, multi-dimensional, now this is what God does. This is what it will produce in us. This is the effect they will have on the world around us. Until we go to that, to that place, the truth is we're not even honestly uh, describing, portraying the love of God. We're just, I don't know what we're doing. But anyhow, so Moses wanted this intimate relationship with God, not just so he could see the power. So, so when the children of Israel wanted to see God's deeds, what that really comes down to is, okay, feed me some manna, give me some water, uh, uh, later on, give me some quail. In other words, the deeds they wanted to see was sort of like when Jesus fed the 5,000 and these people kept following him around and they kept demanding that he give them a sign. Well, the sign that they wanted to get was more free food. And that's the way it was with the children of Israel. That's the way it is with carnal believers in the 21st century. Is, is we want to see the deeds of God. We want to see the miracles, the healings, uh, uh, the provision, all of these things that benefit us with no reciprocal relationship with God, with not having anything to do. It's not about loving God. It's not about knowing God. It's about trying to bribe God and say, okay, I'll like you if you do these things for me. And that's where the children of Israel were. But Moses was like, I want to know your ways. I want to understand you. Why would you want to understand God? Of course, religion will tell you, you can't understand God. Well, that's just another absolute lie. You should understand God because you've got Jesus showing you exactly what God is like, how he functions, uh, what he will do, what he won't do. Very few things when it comes to how we live our life very few things about God should ever be a surprise to us. He wants us to know him. Again, that is an occult concept that, that you can never really know for sure what the gods are going to do. But anyhow, Moses said, I want to know your ways. I want to understand what you're going to do. I want to understand why you're going to do it. So in, in Exodus 33, we've already talked about this. Verse 18, he says, please show me your glory. 
Now, I'm just going to capsulize some things here because I don't want to rehash everything that we talked about previously when I, you know, when I shared some principles from this. But uh, God said, okay, I'm going to show you my glory. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to make all of my goodness pass before you, and I'm going to proclaim the name of the Lord before you. So suddenly, uh, I know Moses had to be in shock. I know Moses had to be in shock. Uh, wait a minute, that's not exactly what I asked for. I mean, you know, seeing the glory of God, I know he was probably expecting some kind of supernatural event, you know, that was just, that was just uh, unexplainable in, in, in any uh, concept of, of, of world terminology. Well, but this is where Moses begins a transformation in the way that he will minister to the people around him. Now, this is the thing you've got to understand. To any degree that you are actually perceiving or understanding God, it is going to influence you. It's going to manifest the power and the glory of God, not in these things that make you look anointed. It's not about you. It's not about proving your ministry and any of that kind of stuff. It's always going to be so that you can enter into a reciprocal relationship with God where you trust his goodness, you trust his love, you trust his kindness, you trust his mercy, and because you trust that you are affected by it. Now, people, I'm telling you, there's a world of people all over the internet that always talking about God's love and God's love and God's mercy and God's mercy and God's mercy, but never talking about uh, what a healthy response to that is. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people, a lot of men, for example, who cheat on their wives because their wives are really, really good and, and merciful, and they know they can get by with. They know if they get caught cheating, their wife will forgive them. Well, and that's what we're trying to project onto God. We're trying to project something onto God where we can just be selfish, self-centered, low lives. And, uh, and because God loves us, then it really doesn't matter because if we get caught, then, then you know, he's going to forgive us. I got news for you. That is as corrupt as the day is long. So the greatest manifestation that we can bring to the world that will be a that will be an expression of the glory and the, and the power of God is going to really be manifest in how we treat people. You know, uh, uh, I can't remember which one of our founding fathers it was that made the statement. Uh, you know, he he. He could not understand how God could be righteous and be merciful at the same time. And uh, ancient philosophers struggle with that. How could God actually be righteous and be merciful at the same time? Because if he's righteousness or if he is righteous, if that's his basic nature, then, then he can never be merciful because he could not condone unrighteousness. He could not condone sin. He could not condone the things that the human race is. But God reveals the fact that not only is he righteous, and, it, and if we're following him, we should be pursuing righteousness. But that righteousness should manifest not only in righteous living, but righteous relationships where we are treating people the same way that God treats them. In 1 John 4, uh, and I talked about this in verse 12, it says, no one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. 
And by this, we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he's given us uh, his spirit. So, you know, it's amazing the people that, that would talk about, you know, moving in the spirit, but would never actually relate that to how we treat people. And, you know, like I shared in this particular passage, as a new believer, when I would read this passage, I would think, why have you put this in the first John? You're talking about you're talking about something that is so totally different. And all of a sudden you come out with this thing about people not seeing God. Well, in the whole expression of love and the whole expression of the greatest power uh, that God will ever release on the world and what will glorify him the most is really the way he treats people. How can a righteous God love people and be merciful and be patient and be compassionate? Because you would think that that righteousness would provoke wrath against those who are not righteous. And, and there will be a day of reckoning. You, just, you, you have to understand that those who reject the righteousness of God, those who reject the free gift of righteousness, those, those people will stand before God and say, look, I, 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 don't want to, I don't want to be judged by the free gift of righteousness. I want you to judge me by my works. Well, nobody's going to measure up by their own works. But if that's how you choose to attempt to relate to God, that's your choice. You're going to live and die with it, and you're going to eternally live in the consequences of it. But uh, remember, in John 13, 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you. By the way, that word new in the Greek is not, it's not saying it's a different commandment. Many people, I hear this over and over and over, it makes me want to scream. Many people will say, well, the old covenant was based on fear. The new covenant is based on love. You need to read your Bible. If you're making those kinds of statements, you are making a gross era of fact, because that is not at all, you know, you know what happens. And uh, I mean, you go back, everything God taught about his motives for doing things and how we should embrace things are, the, are identical to what we're taught in the, new, in the new covenant. The only difference in the new covenant, we're not doing it by our strength. Uh, if, we, if we believe those things and commit to those things, uh, then we can receive the grace of God, which is a power beyond our own that makes us capable of, of living that way. And that's the whole concept of grace. Grace is not just uh, a synonymous uh, word for mercy. It's not a synonymous word for compassion. It's, not a, it's really not a synonymous word for anything because God doesn't really use synonyms. Even though there are overlapping realities and and many of the words of the Bible, they're still not synonymous. They reveal multi-dimensional aspects of who God is. They, they, they reveal different parts of the same truth, but they are not the exact same words. God would not use synonyms. Um, uh, now, the translators might try to create synonyms because of what they're trying to get you to believe, but that's, that's not what God does. By the way, let me just mention this. I haven't said anything about this. You know, many, many people ask me all the time, they say, Jim, how do you guys do this? You know, you're starting Bible schools all over the world, your, uh, your videos, uh, your cyber church is in pretty much every, as far as we know, is in every country in the world. Uh, you're constantly creating free materials. How do you pay for it? Because you almost never say anything about money. Well, I don't. I almost, I almost never say anything about money. But let me encourage you 
if you're benefiting from this, if you know people that are benefiting from this, I encourage you to become a world changer with us. A world changer is a financial supporter who is seeking to obey the commission that Jesus gave the church, and that is to preach the gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. And what that will do is that will make it possible for him to return. So if you'd like to help us, and keep in mind, we, we're always functioning what we call Operation 1B, where we are raising up Bible schools, we're training pastors all over the world with the commitment to raise up 1 billion disciples. In other words, not a billion Christians, not, a, not just a billion believers, but a billion people who know and understand how to live by faith and grace and experience the power of God to follow Jesus and to be a disciple. Uh, so go to our website and uh, on the homepage there, you can check on uh, becoming a world changer and, and join up with us. And I'm telling you, it will be greatly, greatly appreciated. And you will be a part of uh, creating messages that go all over the world, publishing new books, raising up Bible schools, training pastors, winning the laws, all of the things that Jesus did and all the things that he told us to do. So anyhow, back to John 13, 34. He says, look, I got a new commandment for you. That word new does not mean a different commandment. It's really more like it's an old commandment. And, you know, in the book of 1 John, John kind of starts going into this uh, about it's an old commandment, but it's new. Well, what he means is new. That word new means it's refreshed. It's the same commandment, but it has been refreshed. It has been, uh, it has been brought to us in a way that's, that's very, very different. And so he says that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another and by this. And, and so this gets kind of, this gets kind of powerful and specific by this all or everyone that's watching will actually know and believe that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Now, listen, the church has never believed this. The church as a whole, I'm not saying all Christians uh, I'm talking about the, and I'm talking, remember the word church actually means the called out. And this whole idea of, of a church being a local congregation, the church being a particular denomination, none of, that is, none of that is biblical. And unfortunately, because religion has redefined so many words, I'm, I'm forced to use some of these words the way they do. Otherwise, when I'm talking to you, you don't, you don't get it. So when I talk about the church, I am talking about the orthodox institution of the church. I am not talking about those who said yes to being called out of the world system and into uh, the kingdom system. And that's really what the word church should mean. Uh, but, but as a whole, the organized church uh, from the earliest of times never has systematically created disciples to Jesus. You know, back in, in, in the beginning of Catholicism, people did not convert from paganism to uh, becoming believers and disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. They converted from, from one religion to another. They joined the church. They didn't, they didn't join Jesus. They joined the church. And so evangelism from, from the darkest times in world history and the darkest times in spiritual history, uh, evangelism was getting people to convert to Catholicism didn't have anything to do with getting born again. There was not even any talk of being born again. It was about joining a church and then beginning to live your life based on the rules 
that the church, you know, handed out to you. And as time went on, even, even in the Reformation, it was more of a struggle of joining the reformers and joining their groups. That really was about getting born again. And all the way down to, to modern church history, evangelism has always taken precedence over making disciples. Making disciples is the, is, is the real work. And so Jesus says that people don't recognize you as a disciple because you live a flawless life. People don't recognize you as disciples because you attend religious services. There's a whole list of things that, that we are told to do that we think makes us disciples. But in fact, it, not only does it not make us disciples, but it's not even appealing to the world. You know, the world looks at the average Christian and thinks, you know, I got enough problems. Why should I go, why should I go join up with that and have to obey a, a bunch of more rules? And, uh, but when you actually have love for one another, you are seeing a manifestation of the power of God because love is in reality. I'm talking about God's definition of love. I'm not talking about humanistic love. I'm talking about uh, God's love that is expressed as Jesus modeled it to us. That is contrary to the greatest wickedness in the world. And the greatest wickedness in the world is actually selfishness. When selfishness is pure Satanism, because selfishness is totally contrary to love, but also selfishness puts you on the throne of your life instead of Jesus on the throne of your life. So we start realizing that mercy and grace, and we will go into this more in, in the next message, but mercy and grace provide and work in us uh, what we need to have the, the power, the ability, the capacity that actually comes from our heart, not just because we're trying to obey some rules, but actually works from our heart uh, to have genuine love for other people and not, not uh, express that love the way the world, the carnal believer would have us express it, but to express that love in the exact same way that Jesus expressed that love. And, and the, what that does in people's life is it manifests the glory of God. And when the glory of God is manifest, I mean, there's all kinds of dimensions to that. There's, you know, there is the, the splendor, the greatness, you know, the majesty, all, all those kinds of things. Actually, when you look up the word glory and say there's lexicon or some of those, it takes pages to express all the ways that the concept of the glory of God can be expressed. But, but when it comes down to true functionality, see, many times um, the language commentaries uh, don't really tell us what a word really means in the original language. Many times they will tell us um, different ways that it is manifest. And so, yeah, splendor, yeah, brightness. But you start looking and go, okay, but, but what does that mean? What, what, is it, what is that in real life? You know, are you saying a light shines out by, from behind our head? What, what are you saying? Well, no, the glory of God, when it comes down to true functionality and what's going on in our heart, has to do with us surrendering our view and our opinion to the view and the opinion of God, because all of those manifestations 
are based on the reality of who God is. So uh, doxa, which is the Greek word for glory, is the view, the opinion, and the reality. So God gets glorified when the way we treat people and the effect that it has on their life uh, manifests the true character and the nature of God. People then see the glory of God. You know, throughout the scripture, and I'm not going to look at all of these because you'll have, if you decide to get the audio version of this, you'll, you'll have more of the scripture references. I'm trying to scoot through a, a 20, about a 27 minute uh, message. Uh, I'm trying to cover a lot of ground. But, uh, you know, when, when Jesus, one time, whenever the, the uh, disciples came up on somebody who was born blind, uh, they said, Well, who sinned? this man or his parents, he was born blind. Jesus said, nobody's seen in this. He says, but this is for the glory of God. Now, he, he wasn't saying him being blind was for the glory of God. He was saying that he's going to heal this man born blind, and this is going to manifest the reality of God. This is going to manifest who he really is as the person, not who makes people blind and makes people sick, but according to his name, he is the person that always heals the blind and the sick when they come to him by faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. Same thing with the raising of Lazarus. You know, when Jesus was an hour away from where Lazarus lived and uh, he uh, got word that Lazarus was sick and he didn't go. And so a journey that could have been made in an hour ended up taking over three days. And so by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus has been put in the, he's, he's been embalmed the way they would embalm him back then. He's got the wrappings of the grave clothes. He's got, he's been perfumed, to, you know, to cover up the stench and he's been put into a tomb. And, uh, and, and so whenever his disciples start kind of challenging him on this, he says, this is going, this is going to be for the glory of God. Not that he died, but the fact that he is raised from the dead. Now, those two miracles that I'm citing for you uh, have a very unique trait to them in that those are two of the four, what the, what the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the ruling body said were messianic miracles, and that if somebody could heal someone who was born blind, and if they could raise somebody from the dead, uh, who had been dead for, for more than three days, that that would be the infallible proof that they really were the Messiah. Now, when you stop and think of one of the primary things that Jesus did as Messiah was he showed us who God was. And so the fact that Jesus healed every single person that came to him in faith, the fact that he raised people from the dead, the fact that he did all these things made us know that this is based on the name of God, or one of the names of God, which is Jehovah Rophi, the Lord God, that, that heals me. And so we start having this opportunity to see God as he is. And when we see God as he is, number one, that is the glory of God. That is the reality of God. Not who religion says he is. This is the reality of God. So if we want to manifest the glory and the power of God, then the truth is we've got to have mercy and grace working in us or else it will never actually happen the way that we wish it would happen. But listen, I'm going to let you go now. Be sure and go to our website, impactministries.com or 
or drjimrichards.com. Check out all the free stuff that we have there for you, free articles. And I will be talking to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.